if you're someone close to you is a gambling addict, you're going to need help as well because you need to know triggers, you need to know signs, you need to know how to deal with your emotions because you're always, as a gambling addict, you lean on that person a lot. So I think it's important to the person who's close to you to look at themselves and think, I'm giving this person so much, but I need, I need that a little bit myself as well. Hello and welcome to the Straight Talking Doctor podcast. My name is Dr. Mark Cox and this is the podcast dedicated to improving your health and happiness. My aim is to demystify the complex world of wellness and mental health through eye-opening conversations with guests from any and every walk of life. No topic is out of bounds, no question too big or too small. As well as discussing my guest-inspiring stories, I want my conversations to fuel you all with useful and actionable tips that you can adopt into your daily lives. In this first series, we should be taking a journey into mental health, tackling topics such as dealing with trauma and depression, overcoming addiction, and beating cancer not once, but twice. So thank you for joining me on this journey. Please sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy the ride. Today's episode is a really special one for me and I'm super proud of my good friend Harrison for sitting down and opening up about his life in the hope that it can help others. Something that I know this conversation will do as I've had plenty of messages around today's topic of conversation, gambling addiction. We start the conversation with Harrison's journey and discuss the damaging effects that gambling can have not only on a person but also their support network. We touch on why it tends to be an incredibly difficult addiction to overcome and delve a little bit into the stigma surrounding it. We talk about the extent of the problem we face with gambling addiction in the UK and why this can make it quite hard to comprehend the nature in which it is still glorified in today's society. Harrison also outlines how he himself sought help and has some great advice for anyone out there who's been affected directly or indirectly by gambling. Before we start, a quick apology from me as I definitely clicked the wrong microphone to record this chat and this may mean a slight reduction in sound quality. However, the conversation is so good, I'm sure it won't affect your listening experience. I really, really hope you enjoy. Harrison, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to see your face, to sit down and chat to you. So let's get straight into it. Can you paint a picture of your life? A few years ago, you're a very different man now, but a few years ago, and give me an idea of the mindset you were in at the time when you were faced with your gambling addiction. So I first uh, started to gamble when I was 15. At that moment of my life, I had a very, very bad influence uh, around me. And that person took me to a bookies when I was 15, uh, which for young people is actually a different way of going in. Normally now it's sort of the internet way that people start gambling. So for me, as soon as I walked into the bookies, everything changed. Uh, there was a bit of everything in there for me at that moment in my life, which I enjoyed. There was a lot of sport. There was a lot of um, sort of gaming on there with the roulette machines, which I was obviously playing Xbox and Playstations at the time. There was a sense of winning money, which you could win. Uh, and also, like, the characters that were in there, they made you feel like they're your best mates as well. So yeah. I, I would spend hours in there learning stories from, like, 60-, 70-year-old blokes yeah. and, like, I thought these people were my friends, but yeah, you're painting, you're painting quite a nice picture. <laughs> as the bookie in my mind. No, no, I'll be honest with you, like, these people, they would be outside getting tabs of cigs on the floor. And, so, and I was just like, I thought these people were like really trying to help me, like, well, just be my mate. So, sure. so, so from that age, I was sort of in the bookies uh, after school. I was sort of skipping school sometimes as well to go there. And I'd be in there until close. So my mum would pick me up, uh, like, Loughborough's the nearest town to me. So I'd be in the bookies in the William Mill. 
until like nine o'clock. Mum would pick me up and I'd maybe have only spent £10, £15 or I maybe have won £60 or lost that money. But I was in there constantly and it was only the money that I had that allowed me to do that. So I didn't have, if I had bigger funds and obviously it would have changed. Sure. So that was as early as 15. And at that point, it sounds like gambling was a part of your life, but perhaps maybe not a full addiction. Yeah. Um, and how did it develop from there? So I, I sort of didn't see it as a problem. I mean, obviously looking back now, it probably was an addiction that I'm 15 years old standing in the bookies every day, talking to 70 year olds about life. But anyway, I, I got good, some good stories about it. But uh, I would say when I was 17, I got uh, scouted for the job that I'm in now. And I moved to London very, very swiftly within two days. And from there, the money that I earned was something that I never thought I would have the opportunity to earn, or especially at that age anyway. And the flat that I moved into in Dalston was actually above a bookies. So obviously, it was disaster waiting to happen. And believe me, it was disaster continuous for many, many years. But even at that moment, I never thought in my mind I was a, I was a gambling addict at all. So at 17, you were scouted to be a model, um, and the amount of money combined with the age and I guess some of the experiences you were having yeah. is like you say a recipe for disaster yeah. um and I know from the stories you told me in the past yeah they you know it proved to be fairly catastrophic at yeah. times um so gambling addiction it's got a few other names pathological gambling compulsive gambling or gambling disorder and basically it's an impulse control disorder so if you're a compulsive gambler you can't control the impulse to gamble even when it has negative consequences for you or the people around you so you'll gamble if you're up, you're down, you're broke or flush, uh, and you'll keep gambling regardless of the consequences, even when you know the odds are against you or you can't afford to lose. Does this resonate with you? Do you feel like you're yeah. in this category? I feel like even as any teenager is, especially, you know, your emotions are all over the shop anyway. And I had no stability in my life at that, at that moment. You know, my, I, was, I needed something to grab onto to give me a bit of a safety blanket. And gambling was that safety blanket for me. And especially when I moved to London, very, very minimal friends. All my friends were about to go to university. And I was sort of going here and everywhere. And when I got back to London, I would always go straight to the bookies. Or as soon as I got paid, which was every week, straight to the bookies. Because it was my way of having a bit of a relax, which sounds obviously very weird. But it's those ups and downs. And that would just make me feel calm. But then... Obviously, hours into it, the calm becomes mania, panic, stress. Or if you do win, it's euphoria, yeah. which is then playing with emotions either way. So yeah, it can go both ways. And gambling, there is another term for a gambling disorder that is slightly different, which is problem gambling. So where you have a gambling problem without being totally out of control. So it's a behavior that disrupts your life or you're preoccupied with gambling and spending more and more money on it, chasing losses. And there can be serious consequences, but it's it's not as bad as, say, a complete gambling addiction that we touched on before. So when does a casual gambler become a problem gambler? I would say, as I was just saying then, I, I was probably problem, problem gambling in London when I first moved down because I had, the, I had the, the money to do it. I wasn't affecting anyone. I wasn't asking anyone for money. I didn't mentally. I was just gambling, basically. It wasn't affecting my whole life. I was going to work. Um, and nobody really knew about it, but you know, it wasn't very secretive. People could, I'd go to meet people outside the bookies or whatever. Uh, and I think the longer you do do that problem gambling, though, it's only going to be one winner. And that's it, it could take a year, it could take two years, it could take two weeks. 
it will get hold of you. And for me, that's what happened over a slow, gradual period of time. Um, and I think as soon as I realized in myself, it was too late. It was, no, I'm talking now from 17 until I didn't get help until I was 24. So, you know, I had that, I'm like eight, eight, seven years. I had seven years of thinking I was a problem gambler. But realistically, I probably had five or six years of being a complete addict. Yeah. I, I, when did that switch come? Or was there something that started happening that meant that that switch was there between the problem gambling and feeling like a, yeah. and actually being a complete gambling addict? I think that's a really good question because I wish I knew. But I, I don't. I have no idea. You could probably ask my friends and family more than me because yeah. they saw it in me. When I was gambling, I didn't have any awareness of myself. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't looking after myself mentally. I was still young and I was living in a different city, but I wasn't meditating and wasn't, you know, looking after the way I, I, I looked. Even though I was doing a job where I had to look after the way I looked, yeah. I wasn't doing any of that at all. I was. I was doing it all completely wrong. It's, it's a bit like when a footballer, you know. Is drinking a lot and uh, partying too much. It's sort of a bit like that with my, with my modelling at that stage. But I was getting away with it because I was, I was still quite young. When I really no- noticed it physically and mentally, it's probably when I was about 22, 23. And then I was in denial for maybe two or three years because I still had the funds. Um, but the funds, when that started to really change, was probably I started, started getting my first loans out when I was probably about 23, I reckon. 20, 22, 23. And then from there, the loans didn't stop until I, until I got help. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because that, for me, sounds like probably the point where it, it reached a crisis point. For yeah, you. yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, I think the, the money side of things, I'm not going to talk about how much I was gambling and how much I wasn't gambling, but the loan side of things, I would say, as soon as I got my first loan through, that was like when I first started gambling, because then I just got loads continuously. But then my, my, my bets maybe doubled. In, in, in money value because I, ha- I felt like I had this conti- the banks and the payday loans and everything were just paying for it so it didn't feel like it was my money yeah. it felt like winning every time I got a loan out I felt like I won a bet yeah exactly it's like the danger of a credit card isn't oh, it completely yeah, yeah. Yes. playing with monopoly money and I guess that's when it becomes really destructive yeah. For, yeah. for families and for, yeah. for, the, for the gambling addicts themselves problem gambling I guess there are some key signs to look out for um you know, if you feel the need to be secretive with your gambling or you feel like you have trouble gambling and so once you start, you can't stop. Perhaps maybe you gamble and you don't have the money, which is what yeah. happening, what was happening with yourself, with the loans. And then I guess if your friends and family are, are saying things to you that they're concerned, yeah, yeah. Um, that's another sign that you've got to be, you know, careful of what is happening yeah. and maybe seek, seek some support. How often were you gambling? So I'd say alongside what you've just said, I think the lies is a complete, I know, I was getting money not just off my mum, uh, off my family, my mum, not really my dad, but my friends especially. And the lies I could tell to get that money, so they they didn't think it was for gambling, was unbelievable. So I was gambling every day from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to sleep. And if I didn't go, if I didn't have a bet that was open uh, online, this is, this is actually probably the biggest turning point when I got my phone and I could gamble on my phone abroad. When I was going abroad, I could gamble. If I didn't go have a bet on my phone that I could win overnight, then I would feel naked. I couldn't sleep. I was restless. Wow. Yeah. So it was it was every minute of every day. Even at work, I would pretend to go to the toilet and gamble by myself. When I'm you know I'm working for some big brands and I'm trying to <laughs> trying to impress them. And all I'm thinking about is can I have a bet? Yeah. And I mean, 
I'm just, my mind is going crazy at that. I mean, I can't imagine when you're spinning a web of lies like yeah, that yeah. for your gambling addiction, Definitely. the pressure that puts on your mental health because yeah. it's not necessarily the gambling that is the problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, if you're winning, yeah, yeah, you yeah. could be a great gambler. Yeah. You can win and you can win and win. It's when, I guess, things don't go well and you're borrowing money off yeah, other yeah. people yeah. and the pressure that builds on you yeah. to keep up that, you know, that house of cards, yeah, those yeah. lies, yeah, yeah. that is just unbelievable and I guess how did that affect you? So I think it works both ways as well. There was times when I was winning a lot of money and everyone thought, you know, Harrison's doing really well and <laughs> he's got loads of money, he's always taking this out. Because I'd always take people out when I was woman, you know. It would all be on me and I'd be buzzing about it. And but yeah. then the nice feeling by nice feeling, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean I was in a beeper in a club and I was managed to spend round for like ten people. So like, you know, you can never do that at beeper. So I the, the, the devastation of me, web, this web of lies that I had, the realisation when I did stop, that I, what, what I'd done to so many friendships, so many family members. I'd lost a few friends, but thank God I've got really good friends about, around me. They mm. stuck strong by me and they, they looked after me. They knew that I was going through something bad. I was living with a lot of them. They didn't quite know the ins and outs of it. You know, it could have been multiple, multiple different things that were adding to me not wanting to do anything. But the lies that I was telling to people, that's why I didn't think I wanted to get help to start with because I didn't want to deal with that. I was dealing with that mental aspect that was the hardest thing. But when I told people that I needed help gambling, that was the easier thing. It was the mentally what it had done to me yeah. and how it had drained me. And like, I'd lost a few years of my life just yeah. through sitting in toilets and wanting to gamble constantly, you know what I mean? Yeah. You've mentioned that you went through a period of denial so in your mind, you must have realized that gambling was a problem at that point and you were denying it to other people or were you, you may just have been denying it to yourself or everyone. Yeah. But can you talk about that period in your life where you realized it was a problem and maybe about how you turn things around from that point? Yeah, I think, I think the, the denial thing is, is, as you just said, sometimes I was denying it to myself, or, but most of the time I was denying it to people who knew me because they could see that something was wrong. Um, and I didn't care. Like when I was down, when I was an addict, I didn't care how it would affect other people's mental health also. But I think it's important because there's people who are close to me who needed help after also, you know, it's not just you who needs the help. It's the people who you've affected in anything that happens. Um, and when I, when I looked at that, I couldn't face it at all. So then I just gamble again. I need to go back to this monotonous circle, uh, Monotonous, what's the yeah, like a vicious, like vicious circle of me, you know, not really dealing with my emotions. And the, the moment that I really, there's one trigger that really made me want to go and get help. And it was, I had to move out of London because I couldn't afford my rent anymore, which was ridiculous because the money that I was earning, like, there was no way. And yeah. also, I was getting I had credit cards and loans for the address that I was at, and they were chasing me up. So I moved back to my mum's house. And uh, I remember, you know, people have like ones and two peas and 50 peas in little jars that they save up. And I got my mum's jar and like got as much money out as I could. Yeah. Went to the bookies and like the closest walk there because I didn't want to pay for the bus. So it took like an hour and a half to go to this, this bookies. And obviously I lost, it was like four quid, mate. Like, and I just walked, I walked out of there after about half an hour and I was just like gone. I was like, my, I was like just emotionally disheveled looked like a little boy just like crying and I rang my mum and I was like really 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 need to get help with this and it was like one of the most freeing experiences that I've ever felt I mean it's horrible for like a few hours 
But when we sat down and looked at the options that there are, it was the most freeing and amazing thing that's probably ever happened to me. That's amazing. Um, it's amazing how the gambling addiction can become so all-encompassing mm. that you would do something like that. Yeah, yeah. And then the feeling of relief that you get when you then accept that you have a problem that yeah. you're explaining there. I think that's the same with any mental health thing, any addiction mm. is if you can accept that problem, that's always the first step. If you are in denial, there is, you can have the best support in the world, but if you're in denial, obviously you're not going to get any better, but the fact you accepted it there yeah. and called someone that you had the most, you know, yeah, yeah. trust in, in the yeah. world and your mom and yeah. went through that, then that's obviously got to be, a huge moment for you. Yeah, I think that as the person that I was lying to most as well, which is quite, well, not, it's funny now, but at the time, she knew she knew that there was, but with any addict, I'd, I'd say, if they want to get help themselves, it's very, very difficult to get through to any addict. I mean, there's been addiction in my life, my whole life, throughout my family, in any way, shape or form. And I know firsthand how hard it is for an addict to want to stop. But when I did tell someone, as soon as you tell someone, you will stop because they'll yeah. make sure that it happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, it was it was hard graft to, to get to that stage where we did finally find somewhere that I could go and get help. Because at that moment in time, I mean, it's five years ago now, there was not that many places to, to go and get help with. So where did you go? What, um, what support was there on offer for you at the time? So I, I managed to go to the National Gambling Clinic, which was in Fulham at the time. It's now moved over to central London. And uh, it took me six months from referral to get in there. And you don't stay there. You go there twice a week and you have therapy sessions. This is the first time I've ever had therapy. And I'll tell you what, it completely changed my whole life. That was, that was the biggest thing I've ever done that has changed my life for the better. Uh, and then there was those accounts. There was those different things with bank accounts, um, how to look after your money, what to do when you get paid. So I was strapped down that, at that moment of my life for maybe like two years. I couldn't touch my money. I couldn't do anything. Everything was paid for for me, yeah. uh, which is what I needed to do. Plus on top of that, the therapy, which was so amazing and so eye-opening to why I was the way I was. Yeah. And I had never understood myself at all. And I think that's the most important thing with most addicts is they don't understand themselves and why I've done that. And once you start to look at the different branches of why you are the way you are and the people that help you understand that, then it's amazing and it really just you know makes, makes so much difference. I think I've already talked about self-awareness in episodes I've recorded this yeah, podcast yeah. before I've even released them. And that self-awareness thing for me is massive. And we all achieve self-awareness in different ways, but therapy... Over and over again, I'm going to preach that therapy is just the single most important thing that people can do, regardless of if they have an addiction yeah. or a mental health problem. I think everyone should have therapy Definitely. because understanding yourself helps you deal with everything in life, any relationship. And the fact that even though that course, the, the gambling, gambling clinic yeah. that you went to yeah. had different aspects to it, yeah. the fact that you say the therapy side of things is the most important and what yeah. changed your life, again, rings true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that that's massively, massively important for people. So if this resonates with you, then there you go. I think that that's the most important tip that maybe we'll even talk about today. Definitely, Harrison, I mean, you're not alone with gambling. It's a huge problem in the UK, particularly in young men. Yeah. So in a survey from Gamble Aware, one of the charities, um, 
YouGov estimated that up to 2.7% of adults in Great Britain or nearly 1.4 million people were problem gamblers. Now, that's unbelievable. That's such a huge number. But the true addiction rate is probably likely closer to uh, the health survey figures, which are slightly lower, cited by the industry regulator, the, by the Gambling Commission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I've taken that from online, yeah, yeah. from an article. Yeah. But do you think these figures are accurate? I, I think it's really important to, you know, for me, when I came out and I, I, I said to people, I'm a gambling addict, and I had to post that on social media four, four or five years ago, the amount of men, I could have gone to school with them and spoke to them once, who have come forward to me and said, I've got a problem. It's, it's unbelievable amounts. And I, I think that on top of that, also, there's people who don't admit they've got a problem as well, which is a massive, massive thing, which is why we're trying to speak about this now. So I think I think there's a lot more gambling addicts out there because people don't can't see it. It's not like you're a drug addict. People can see you're on drugs. You're an alcoholic. People see you drinking a lot. If you're a gambling addict, it's so much harder to read. And the lies that you can tell people and the way you can be as a person is scary. And I know that firsthand. And I think that there's a lot more gambling addicts out there, especially young males, because of apps on your phone which have taken over big time yeah. which is a massive weakness for me and sport i guess sport exactly you know if you're into sport then wow gambling's amazing because you can watch any sport and put a bet on it and and you can do it as a friendship as well you can get your friends you know you see labrooks adverts and they're all like lads going out to the pub or going to the footy and like that's true that is what people do and it's become a culture now where people gamble a lot um so yeah, I think there's a lot more gambling addicts out there. Yeah, exactly. And exactly what you just said there, gambling is glorified these days. Definitely. How many adverts do you see constantly on TV, social media, sports, everything? People don't see it, therefore, as harmful. So, you know, when you think of other addictions, cigarettes, alcohol, drugs, yeah, yeah. that's a bad thing. That's yeah, taboo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, gambling is seen as a completely different thing. Yeah, it's yeah. like you know, oh, we're going down, we're placing a bet, all the yeah, Grand yeah. Nationals on, we're placing a bet. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that creates this very, very dangerous atmosphere for yeah. young men or, or women, but particularly young men, where they associate gambling with fun and, mm-hmm. and you know, carefree time and with sports and successful people. So, you know, gambling is a huge problem for many people, but it therefore is much harder for them to talk about it because other people see it as a bit of fun. Yeah. I had that. I had that exact issue. Thank God, my friends are a bit more mature than this. But I had few people like, mate, you know, just get on with it. Like, it's only a bit of gambling. Like, you should, you'd be all right because it's got that lad culture around it, and it's just like it's not seen as a bad addiction at all. I mean, there's even older people who I know who think that I'm stupid for like having so much connection to gambling. I should just get over it, you know. But that's when it becomes dangerous because people just don't accept it and think I've got nothing wrong with me. Go around upset, constantly depressed and they think it's fine that they're losing loads of money and, you know, they've got nothing else on. They just want to gamble constantly. And I, I spoke to someone a few, a few weeks ago and I obviously won't mention the name, but like I would never thought he was a gambling at all or a gambling addict and I had like two or three hours with him and like it was a different person when he opened up to me, he was devastated in himself. And I was like, wow, like that shows I've known you for so many years and I had no idea that you were a gambling addict. And thank God now you're getting a bit of help and you're sorting it out, you know? Was that a turning point for him? Was it him Big time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because he listen, cause he, he was doing exactly the same sort of path that I was on with the lies to your parents about that. And when 
you speak to someone who's gone through I, I used to think this is like, I can't listen to this person they've never been through it you know as, as an addict you always think that unless you've been through the addiction you don't listen to anyone but I think he realised that you can get through it it's harder than you think but you know it's, it's amazing and beautiful in the end you know yeah exactly have you found you mentioned a little bit before about people messaging you Mm-hmm. Have you had lots of experiences like that where people are opening up to you because you are seen as some some sort of beacon because you've <laughs> been, been open and yeah, honest yeah. about yeah, what's yeah. happened to you? Yeah, I, I actually have a bit of a thing in my head, I'm, which I'm glad I'm doing this. Is I wish I spoke about it more, especially yeah. online. I speak about it to people when I meet them, but some there's some something inside me that wants to cage it up socially because, especially with work and everything, which is silly really. I should want to speak about it more online because I think it's important for people to feel like there's outlets, which there is a lot of outlets for people to get help with. But when I, when it first started to happen, I wasn't ready for that. I was so uh, very early on in my recovery that I couldn't deal with other people's recovery at the same time trying to help them. But now I really I really get a buzz off it, obviously, but I don't want it to feel like I'm preaching the good, <laughs> the good word about you know how to help not being a gambling addict anymore and stuff like that. But yeah, I think it's really free when someone tells you, you know, they're a gambling addict and they need a bit of help and stuff like that. The stigma around gambling addiction that we've touched on is definitely real. We've said we need to talk about it more, but how else do we break down that stigma? How else do we make this less of a problem? I think the important thing is that it's so tricky because, you know, people's phones have access to gambling anywhere socially. You could be the other side of the world and still began on something's going on in the UK or anything like that. So I think how we, I think the, the adverts have a massive part to play in it, obviously, but I, I've seen so many people lobbying against how many adverts there are, even sponsorship deals in any sport. Every other sponsorship deal with alcohol uh, and cigarettes have all been, you know, you can't do them anymore. But with gambling, it's getting more and more. Um, and that needs to change big time because there was, a, there was a period of my life where I couldn't watch any sport for like a year and a half. Right. As soon as I watched it, triggered back to gambling because it'd be an advert or it'd be on someone's um, football shirt or it'd be on the on the outside of the ring boxing, you know. I guess that's the same with the other unhealthy habits. You yeah. know, it's all about that trigger when you see, you know, if you're a smoker and you see someone smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. and then suddenly Definitely. you have a craving for a cigarette, uh, the same with alcohol addiction. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I guess what we need to do is see gambling addiction as a more of a real problem. Yeah, yeah. With the figures that we've mentioned already, there is a huge number of people that are clearly going through the same thing and yeah, are yeah. still struggling. Yeah. And I guess we need the government yeah. to take more notice of that Definitely. and perhaps introduce more regulation, more yeah. restriction yeah. on these gambling companies and perhaps how they are marketed yeah. to the masses. I, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying gambling should be banned forever or be made illegal. Definitely, definitely not. You know, that, and I feel like that with any, any addiction... I don't have any anger towards people who want to have a bet now and again. It's purely for people who might have a little trigger in their head that is played on by these gambling gambling companies. It could be even breaking up with your girlfriend, you know, that could trigger you for being a gambling addict. Yeah, exactly. As well as regulation, I think it's really important that perhaps more responsibility is taken by gambling companies for education, you know, understanding what is problem gambling and when does problem gambling become an issue mm-hmm. i've seen adverts over the last few years which are much better from the gambling companies yeah. you know please gamble responsibly yeah, yeah, yeah. and the fun stops stop yeah, yeah. all that sort of thing that's the tip of the iceberg yeah, yeah, though, yeah. isn't it that's the start but 
what else can they do to try and improve you know the rest of people i think i think uh there should on television there should definitely be a time limit where you're allowed to have gamble adverts on you watch paul o'grady or loose women they're sponsored by bingo and online roulette companies it's like that's ridiculous they're on at 11 o'clock in the morning <laughs> you know it's just like stupid from a young age you're, you're seeing your mum watching something and it's about the adverts are about gambling yeah, you uh, try and take a day off work and watch TV yeah, all day exactly. in your boxers exactly. and you're subjected to <laughs> so gambling adverts at exactly. 11 a.m. with your bowl of rice. <laughs> that's, not, that's not fair, is no, it? No, no, not at all. No, I completely agree. There is there is definitely more that can be done. I think it, it is glorified. Um, it's seen in a different light and perhaps there needs to be more weight put on the fact that these things can be damaging for people. I, th- I think the national lottery needs to be changed to 18 as well, so the 16. I think 16 years old to get scratch cards and to get lotto tickets. There's yeah. an, I, I have no idea why that is because every other gambling is 18. Yeah, it's, so a, huge, it's a huge thing, like gateway. isn't it, for people yeah, 16 yeah, yeah. years old. Oh, we'll buy your lottery course. cards. Yeah, I get that. That's, you know, that's, that is ridiculous, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Let's go back a little bit. When you were younger, I want to talk about... Not necessarily what has happened in your life, but do you think there are things in your personality that made you more susceptible to your gambling tendencies? Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, I have no, no qualms about saying this. Last year, I got diagnosed with a borderline personality disorder, which has got a huge part to play in the reason that why I'm an addict. You know, I didn't know that until last year, but that's obviously got a huge part to play. That's been triggered by situations that have happened when I was growing up and my upbringing I had an amazing upbringing in terms of love but there was a lot of uh, trauma and uh, just bad people there was a lot of bad energy and bad people around at that time um, which I hadn't dealt with and when you don't deal with those sort of things you don't often get help or you don't mentally process things that go on at that stage of your life it's going to have effects far deeper into your life and one thing I do say is that the trauma and the struggles that I had as a child, if I hadn't dealt with them when I was 24 and still dealing with them, don't get me wrong, I'm still getting therapy, like that will continue to happen. I could have had, I'm married now, but if I had a marriage, kids, mortgage, imagine if I'd still been gambling at 40, I would have lost absolutely everything. And that's when it becomes devastating someone's life and that's when lives yeah. get taken, you know? You mentioned BPD or borderline personality disorder. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and I guess how that has affected you or how, you know, what tendencies do you have that yeah. align with that? Yeah. So that that is a very interesting thing because there's always been something, the best thing I did was take gambling out of my personality because I could look at my personality. When I was gambling, I wasn't looking at mentally the way I was. I just thought I blamed everything on gambling. Oh, it's because I'm gambling, I'm angry. It's because I'm ga- gambling that I need to feel love from people, you know? But when I hadn't gambled for like a year or so, I was still having these emotions of, it's very, it's not anger as in I'm going to punch something, it's anger as in like, how can I do better? How can I, you know, I'm not doing enough or the panic or the fear, very rational, up and down. It's not like, um, it's not like days of depression. It's like 20 minutes of devastation about, it could be something to do with work. It could be something to do with football. And then it's mania again. It's very, very hard to to level off as a person. Uh, and obviously gambling plays m- m- perfect, hand-in-hand, hand, borderline personality disorder, gambling, because mm. you're getting every emotion from both things and they're loving each other. 
So I think that when I got diagnosed, it made sense so much to me and it's made me think about meditation a lot more deeply because that helps so much. Mm. My wife's a yoga teacher, but I'm not very good at yoga, so I'm not, I'm not like preaching that, but I find other ways to trigger my mind. Mm. Uh, I have to be doing something constantly, which is a big part of borderline personality disorder. Mm. Um, I really want to be loved massively, which I deal with very well now, which I didn't used to deal with at all. And I think the more that you address each issue, it's going to take years, and you know, I'm never going to be healed. But the more people who see me for who I am and the faults that I do have, because it's never anything hugely like, disruptive to any people, but it might be something to like, piss someone off or like, be annoying for a little bit of time. The more that I talk about that and the way that I am, yeah. the easier it is for people to see. Sure. It's really interesting what, what you said there about how you used to see gambling as the, you know, the be-all and end-all problem. But actually, when you've developed that self-awareness we discussed mm-hmm. before, mm-hmm. you realise it's a symptom. Yeah. It's a symptom of the trauma that you've experienced yeah. and how that has fed into your personality and your personality faults in some ways yeah. and, you know, the, the tendencies and uh, personality, personality traits that you have. Yeah. Um, and I think then once you have that awareness, yeah, you yeah. then suddenly have the power to deal with Definitely. those things Definitely. and deal with them in a more productive way. Yeah. I think I was holding on to a lot of stuff as well until I got therapy. Like, you know, I talked about the bad influence in my life. There was not just one person, there was three or four. And there was lots of different situations that we don't need to go into because it, in years gone by, I would have gone into them and it would have, I would have been angry about them. You know, that anger I was talking about. Yeah, reliving but, that trauma. Exactly. And I don't need to do that, like, for myself. I need to look after myself. The most important person to me should be me. Yeah. And in the past, it used to be other people or the anger I had to other people. I used to want to love everyone, I used to want to hate everyone. Yeah. But if I don't look after myself, then how are you, is anyone going <laughs> to be mates with you? How are you ever going to grow friendships or relationships, you know? Yeah, definitely. Gambling can be destructive. One of the things we don't think about enough, perhaps, is that gambling doesn't just affect the person who is gambling with the addiction. It can have a massive effect on the other people in your life. There's a stat I found, which I found astonishing, that 7% of adults in the UK, or 3.6 million people, report being negatively affected by someone else's gambling problem. Now, that is just huge. Do you mind talking a little bit about how your gambling affected the people in your life? Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to talk about because it's not just the person who is being selfish gambling as a gambling addict. I'm lucky enough now to have like... A, I'm in a very strong relationship. I'm married. We have our own house. We're very, very stable. But I've relapsed twice since I got help in two, when I was 24, but since I've been with this person. And the effect that the lies both times have had has been more devastating to watch than what it's done to me because they just have so much love and trust and everything towards you. And to see the disruption after was horrible and they actually needed to go and get therapy from gam care another charity a gambling charity uh to deal with the trauma that was going on with them uh which is important to do you know you're going to need if you're if you're someone close to you is a gambling addict you're going to need help as well because you need to know triggers you know signs you need to have to deal with your emotions because you're always as a gambling addict you lean on that person a lot so i think it's important with the person who's close to you to look at themselves and think, I'm giving this person so much, but I need I need that a little bit myself as well. 
from somebody else. Is there anything you wish the people in your life had been able to do for you? Uh, I, I, I think as years gone by, as I said, I would have definitely said yes, but it's down to me and I need to take responsibility for my actions a lot. And once you realise that, the blame game is so easy to do. And I used to do it so often. You know, I, I was a very good footballer and, to, and I was playing football until I got scouted for modelling at very, very high levels in academies. I was playing um, in the conference and I used to blame that for a lot of my personality traits and my addiction, especially my addiction. And I think you just need to allow yourself trauma and deal with it and look at yourself and think, I need to help myself. I need to be a better person. I might need someone to help me do that, but I can't blame everything because when you start blaming stuff, you're not dealing with it. Yeah. I think that's a really grown up way to think of things. Mm -hmm. You know, that's looking back with hindsight with the experiences you've had through your lived trauma. At the time, it's very hard to know that. And I think as a young person with all of the influences you had, that's incredibly difficult to know you were in you know, you were in this cauldron of potential, yeah. you know, misdemeanors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you touched on the fact that the people around you in your life probably had to get support as well mm-hmm. to help you, but also help themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to know that the charities out there provide support for the, yeah. for the people who are not the gambling addicts, but their loved ones. Yeah. So, you know, these charities we'll mention a little bit later on. Um, can provide the support that you need. I think that's super important. And then you can call them any time as well. That's what's important. The, person who's helping you, if they don't know how to deal with the person who's gambling at a certain situation, they can call them and they'll get help straight away. It's amazing. Were you aware before you went and got support, were you aware that there were things out there that you could have been to and that could have helped you? I don't think so at all, to be honest with you. This was pre the gambling adverts having something at the end of them telling you need to stop and the fun stops, etc. There was nothing like that at all. I wasn't seeking it, so I can't tell you. But even when I did look, it was very, very tricky back then. I couldn't tell you now how many places there are. But the problem is for gamblers, especially, if you're an addict, you can't, you can't, you've spent all your money gambling, you can't afford to go to rehab privately. It's, it's such a taboo thing because, you know, you need to go and get the best help ever. And I had this myself. I'd spent everything I had and I'd been borrowing money off my mom, been borrowing money off all my friends, so I couldn't have got it that support financially at that moment of my life. So I think charities are amazing in gambling and there's a lot more of them now and they've helped me, three or four have helped me. So I think it's important to find the right thing for you though. Yeah. For anyone looking for help with gambling or anyone that knows someone that is, there are a few organisations that help. But firstly, I would say contact your GP, speak to your GP because two reasons. When you have a gambling addiction, you are likely to be suffering with your mental health as well, and they can yeah. help you with that. And that's yeah. always the first port call. So speak to your GP. But they can also provide support and signpost you to the right charities that can deal with the specific gambling problem. Yeah. yeah. So there's a few of these, but correct me if there's any others, Harrison. Yeah. So there's GamCare. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these people can speak. You can speak to an advisor for free. You mm-hmm. can chat online. Mm-hmm. You know, have live chats online with not a bot, but a, like yeah. a person. Um, you know, who's behind the screen, um, and you can speak to other people in the same position as you in group chats and forums. And I think mm-hmm. that's incredibly empowering. Mm-hmm. There is also Gamblers Anonymous, um, and they can you know provide you with a support network. Do you know any others? That uh, so National Gambling Clinic, where I went to, yeah. which is the best one I found. See, with, with uh, Gamblers Anonymous, this is what this is why you have to find the right thing for you. I went there and it just didn't rub with me at all. 
everyone was a lot older than me. There was nobody who was younger. And like, I think that's the thing, isn't it? When we're young, we, we want to be a, listening to people our age or going through the same thing. Yeah. And these people have never even used the internet, most of them. Do you know what I mean? They've been gambling sure. in bookers. So if you've been gambling on your phone, you need to listen to someone who's been gambling on the phone. So it's the right thing for you to find. And it might take you a little bit of time, but persevere with it as much as you can because it'll be worth it in the end. Yeah, that's exactly the same as anyone receiving therapy that um, I've had a previous podcast with my friend, Matt Swaby, um, who's who sought therapy. And I think he, if I remember rightly, had to go and seek therapy from a different person after his first person. And then once he'd found the right person, you build that relationship and you are then able to achieve something with them. You know. I, I, I was lucky with my first therapist, amazing gambling clinic. But then I've had two or three where I've not gelled with them well. And it does affect you because you feel like you're telling them everything about yourself. You're exposing yourself. And yeah. it's, you know, you feel, you feel in danger. And if you don't click with them, I think it's best just to try and get out of that as soon as possible. Yeah, you're being very vulnerable. Yeah, and then also... You know, you have a limited amount of emotional reserve, particularly mm-hmm. in that point where you are down and you're out and you're yeah, asking yeah. for help. If you keep going to someone and feel like you're not getting anything back, there's a certain point where you go at that point, exactly. I'm not going to do it again. No, exactly. There's also begambleaware.org. That's yeah. another yeah. another uh, really useful resource for people. If, if you're uh, the person who is closest to the gambling addict, then GamCare is the best place for you to go and get help, uh, which is where my wife went to and my mom. So that's the best place if you're not the gambler. And you need to go get some therapy. So that's GamCare. Okay. So Harrison, you've come on a long way since your gambling addiction. And, you know, I guess you, do you feel like you're fully, completely recovered? Uh, absolutely not. Like that will never, I'll never say that. I'm, I'm always in recovery. Uh, and that's proven itself through the relapses I've had twice. But I look at my life now and I look at the achievements I've made in myself since I've decided that I need to get help and stop gambling. And it's, I feel like I've succeeded with my recovery so far. And I, you know, now I'm married, I found, I, I found, I met my wife <laughs> about two months after I first started therapy. That would never, ever, ever have happened if I hadn't started therapy. Yeah. Told on within the first half an hour of meeting that I was a gambling addict. And that's amazing. Now we have our own house in London. My friends are solid as ever. I lost so many friendships and now I've got so I'm meeting new people. Obviously, we've met each other in the last few years and that would never have happened. So my recovery is strong and going very, very well, but I'll always be in recovery, I think. And what do you do to make sure you stay in recovery? You mentioned meditation. Is there anything else that you, you, know, you make sure you do in your daily routine or your week that keeps you sane and keeps you in recovery? I think physical activity is obviously really important, but therapy every week, of course. Um... I have a lot of time at home. I don't work every day, so that can also that's a big trigger for me. Um, listening to stuff like uh, calm sleeping patterns and stuff like that, just getting getting a good good sleep and being fresh and always being looking to do something and not being in situations. This is the most important thing: not putting yourself in situations where you might gamble and let, telling your friends, "I can't do this. I can't do that," because. I might gamble or feel vulnerable on that stage. So I think it's important just to be honest with yourself and be honest with people around you. That's hugely difficult. I know other people that suffer with other perhaps unhealthy tendencies, you know, recreational drug use, excessive alcohol, gambling. Don't put yourself in that situation. But that's easier said than done when we live in this social world that we yeah. live in and you have friends. So that's a difficult one. But mm-hmm. using all the other things you mentioned there are a little bit 
I get they can be hard, but a little bit easier. So focusing on your diet, yeah. your sleep, yeah. your exercise, doing things to de-stress, meditating, uh, taking some time out for yourself, self-care generally. I didn't. I don't. I don't look after my money. That's really important as a gambling addict. If someone looks after your money for you, it's so much easier. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that's the habit. That's the trigger. Yeah. The trigger for you there, yeah. isn't it? Before that sets off that that unhealthy habit potentially. So we've covered so much <laughs> juicy stuff, Harrison, and I've learned actually more than I even knew about you before. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's brought us closer together as friends. Definitely. I've absolutely loved chatting to you and I think that people will will love what you've spoken about <laughs> from the heart. It's been, you know, it's been quite a deep journey into yeah, yeah. what you've been through and how you've come out the other side and you are an inspiration to other people. So respect to you for that. I always end my podcast with a basic question, a simple question, but what would be to the listeners out there, your one tip to keep them happy and healthy? Being honest with yourself and making sure that you've become number one in your life and don't, don't chase something that's gonna damage you, I think, just be honest. Wow, uh, Harrison, in a nutshell, that was, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for chatting. Um, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please like subscribe give us a shout out harrison it's been so good to chat to you mate big love from you mate thanks so much everyone appreciate it and hopefully it's not as long before we next see each other yeah always and that's a wrap for my conversation with harrison i really hope you enjoyed it as much as i did I generally learned quite a lot about a good friend of mine, someone that I find a complete and utter inspiration. The way that he battled and overcame quite a gripping addiction is truly remarkable and I'm really grateful for him sharing his experience with me and you guys. If you did find his words beneficial or you enjoyed the conversation, then please be sure to leave a five-star review on your streaming platform and subscribe to the podcast to get all of the latest episodes. I hope you have a lovely week and thank you for listening. And that's a wrap for this episode of the Straight Talking Doctor pod. I hope you not only found this episode interesting, but also hopefully learned something that you can use to help improve your life. If you enjoyed the podcast, or even if you didn't, I'd be so, so grateful if you could go onto your streaming site and leave a five-star review so that I can reach as many people as possible. Finally, if you have any feedback or suggestions for further guests, please get in touch with me at The Straight Talking Doctor on Instagram.